Well, good afternoon, everybody. I am super excited for this week's guest because he's going to talk about two things that I love. He's going to talk about industrial real estate and he's going to talk about tech and a little bit of a uh, short story on this. This is, this is an exciting guest for me to bring on because when uh, uh, Jeff was the president of SIOR Global, that was in 2017 and that was the year that I happened to get my designation. So I have Jeff's signature permanently etched on my certificate. So th this is a very exciting one. Uh, Jeff, so grateful to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Chad, thanks for having me. It's the pleasure's all mine, really. So I, I, I think people have a really good background uh, of your background for industrial real estate, having uh, checked out your bio. When you start uh, adding in the tech element, could you perhaps give me some more information on how you started combining tech with your industrial real estate background? I, I would be honored to, to share that with you. It's, it's kind of a, a melancholy story for me. Um, my dad, who, who has passed away several years ago now, um, turns out he was a computer geek back in the 1950s or 60s. And, and of course, I didn't know, know it or appreciate it as I came into the world and got to know him uh, until much later in life. But, but he was in the first computer science uh, class ever at Penn State University. And hmm. uh, my mom there, they, you know, they get married, they, they had a family. He, he was not doing anything computer geeky. He was doing real estate in the Detroit area. And um, uh, he retired early due to some, some uh, medical uh, issues. Um, and that gave him the time to revert back to what he liked, which is sort of computer nerdery, let's just say. And I would visit him or talk to him and I'd say, what are you doing? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm landing, you know, virtual uh, air, air, airplanes on aircraft carriers or, and I'm like, what? I called him one day. He said, I'm defragging my hard drive. And I'm like, okay, what is that? Like, I don't know. And, and I, I kind of got annoyed that my dad was so far ahead of me in the world of technology, even when he was retired, but it was always his love. And, and so um, I made up my mind to, to figure out what the heck the fuss was all about. And it turns out I liked it too. And um I saw ROI opportunity, you know, differentiation versus my competition. Um, it, it ended up being a real lever for my success as a real estate broker, as it turned out. But I, I kind of owe it to my dad, as it turns out. Yeah, it's it's interesting how some people leave such an indelible mark on on your trajectories in your career. So I, I do want to jump into a number of different topics. Uh, I want to get your sense on how the industry has changed over the last 20 years as technology has become a lot more prevalent, get an idea of where we are today. Uh, and then I, I also want to incorporate a couple questions that had already come in about how uh, not maybe not even just brokers, but maybe it's developers or property owners, anybody in the industrial commercial real estate space on some of the tools that they could perhaps use today to start in increasing their business. And then uh, perhaps we'll close out on getting your thoughts on the future of technology and some of the exciting developments that are coming uh, down the way. And I do want to encourage anyone that's listening in live to this, uh, please feel free to put in the chat any questions you have for Jeff. We'll try to answer as many as we can. And if you're listening to this uh, after the fact thanks for tuning into that as well but first things first a uh, couple uh question or comments that already came in uh, maybe we'll just address those real quick uh neil sure. uh said he can't wait for this conversation neil, thanks, uh, neil. So, thanks for that cool. uh keaton thanks for joining in always great to see chad crane creek uh, 
commercial real estate content. Thanks for that as well. Thanks for joining in. Uh, and Pat, uh, great channel. I'm just getting started industrial real estate, learning a ton. Keep up the good work. Thanks for joining in, everybody. It means a lot to have that feedback and the engagement. Really do appreciate it and keep it coming. So, uh, Jeff, uh, first question. Uh, industrial real estate has predominantly worked out of the spotlight for when I started in 2005 and, and even then it wasn't very popular over the last few years it's gotten a lot more popular and now we're starting to see a convergence not just of popularity of industrial real estate but if with technology having come a long way 2005 are still sending faxes uh there there's not a lot of technology in the space then uh fast forward today there there's quite a bit so what have you seen in these past call, call it 20 years now on how far technology's come and then if you could elaborate further on on where you see the landscape as it is right now boy there's a line in that one isn't there that's, that's a loaded question uh, I, i'm just gonna share you know my vintage with everybody so that they can appreciate my tech journey. Um, I came to Chicago in 1987. That's when I graduated from college. And um, I went right into the industrial brokerage business. Side note on that, um, my dad back in the Detroit area was doing some development uh, of office buildings, of mixed use, of retail. Uh, and so I thought what I really wanted to do was move to Chicago, sort of get out of his shadow, try to be my own guy rather than always, you know, be his son in a manner of speaking. Uh, and, and I thought I wanted to develop Willis Towers and office buildings. And so I came to Chicago and I started to network to, to get a job. And the place everybody wanted to, to, to uh, start me was industrial. And I didn't really even know what it was, but, but I, you know, somebody did a really good sales job on me. Um, how much, you know, better educated I would be as a practitioner and how much quicker I would gain some success and, and whatever I, I bought into it. And so all I've ever really done uh, in that regard is industrial. But I started in 1987 and uh, in 1987, uh, for uh, the listeners who are similar in vintage or older, or even for the ones who are younger, there was no internet in 1987. There was no cell phones in 1987. There was no fax machines. There were computers, but we really didn't know what to do with them. And they weren't very powerful and they were not networked together in any sort of appreciable way. I remember in college, they had computer lab and we would go to that class and just sit there and go, I don't know. Okay. Sounds good. So, I mean, for me personally, um, around 1990, bag phones became a thing at a huge expense or you had to take your car to a special a shop to have a phone hardwired into your car, right? And then mounted um, in the in in the sidebar, you know, next to your next to uh, uh, where you you know armrest or, or whatever. Um, fax machines sort of came next, and that was a big revelation. Glad it did not last long. I would personally like to kill the last fax machine today. Uh, <laughs> if you need me, I will help kill it. It's not a problem for me. Um, we cold called with index cards. We, our tickler system, our, our reminders to follow up was written, right? It was, it was really like index cards in a box. I, I hate to say that, but yeah, that's how old I am. Um, soon after that came email and that was a really interesting, um, uh, leap forward. Uh, that was easier to understand and harness and use. Um, and of course, at that whole time, cell phones became 
less cost, more, more usable, more viable. Um, I can't remember the exact year internet became a thing, but it was well into my career, right? Um, I don't know. I'm going to say late 1990s, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and even then, you really had to have somebody show you what you could do with it. It wasn't plainly obvious. It wasn't digital entitlement the way it is today, right? Uh, and then from there, I think the next big quantum leap uh, was the BlackBerry. Um, it had the tactile keys, which made it super easy to type. And it untethered you from the office. And I remember working in brokerage and our company had a summer outing on a boat in the Chicago River, which is, by the way, if you come to Chicago and you want to do something tourism fun, do that that boat tour in the Chicago River. I've done you it. You won't regret it. It's really fantastic. We were doing that as a company outing. And I was having a beer on a beautiful sunny day and I'm typing away on my little BlackBerry. I was the first one that I know in all of Chicagoland to have a BlackBerry. I was that really first, I don't know, but really cutting edge first because somebody at the company I worked with was a beta tester uh, on BlackBerry. And he's like, of all the people I know who would really dig that, it's you. So I'm gonna get you to be a beta tester too. So I really was early with, with BlackBerry. And I'm on this boat and I'm getting emails and work done and I'm complete. And everybody was like, what is that guy doing? And it was really, it was a moment like, I never actually have to be at the office again. Like this is a game changer. So I think BlackBerry really fits into the conversation about the evolution of, of technology. And then from there, of course, it went exponential very, very, very quickly. Um, every day, every month, every week, every year, th there's a new upgrade a new product, a new service, a new means by which to do it. There's been the systematic cataloging of every piece of data in the world, which you can pretty much now find on the internet. We used to have the argument, um, what percentage of the world's data can be found on the internet? I don't know if you've ever had that cocktail party discussion with somebody. It's kind of a fun conversation. Somebody's going to say 20%. Somebody said it's already, it's been 100% for you know 10 years. And the truth probably lies somewhere in between. But, but five years ago, we used to sort of come to this 70, 80%, you know, there's stuff in other countries where they don't have access to the internet that hasn't been cataloged yet and whatever. I'm really to the point now where I think it's about 97%. And not only is it cataloged, it's being reorganized in a way that makes it easier to find and easier to find and easier to find, right? So even that's made quantum strides. Um, and we're still in the early days, right? With with computing power doubling like Moore's law, right? Um, mm -hmm. And price performance being cut into half and and what $1,000 used to buy you, what it buys you today, right? And, and so um, Web3 is coming along, Metaverse is coming along. You can sort of see now when you, all the different things I'm mentioning, when you string them all together, you can almost see that exponential curve of computing power powering each one of those things along the way. Right. So I've, I've really seen it from nothing to, oh, my God, it's not stopping here. It's only accelerating and, and being able to connect the dots and go, I can't wait for what comes next. That's really where I'm at with it. Yeah, you've truly gone from being in the purely analog world to now being fully digitally integrated where you're right. We can do everything 
from a boat on the Chicago River uh, versus having to be tethered to an actual office where you're relying on index cards. I, I, I've I've heard it best described on the on the commercial real estate technology side that it can often be compartmentalized into a few different buckets. So you might have uh, property level tech, so that like smart sensors and all the things that go into the, to making a building run more uh, efficiently. Then big data. Uh, and then just tools to help with with service providers, so like like a CRM or or something on that level. How, is there anything else that you see beyond those three, or does that does that kind of summarize up how you'd group those into different buckets? I don't know if I group them that way, but but I will say this: um, most people are using yesterday's budgets, yesterday's decision making. Because it's safe. It's been linear for generations or longer for, for all of recorded man time. It's been very linear. And so it was always safe to take what we did yesterday and project what that meant tomorrow and put in a variance. And we wouldn't be wrong very much. But what's happening today is that um, increasingly using yesterday's results to predict uh, tomorrow is increasingly wrong and off by larger orders of magnitude. Um, so that, I know that's not a, a, a perfect answer to your question, but that's how I it's how I think about it. Right. Um, we're, we're increasingly getting it wrong by using yesterday's budget for tomorrow. What I'd love to see is everybody throw that away uh, and start fresh uh, because technology requires a different approach, uh, both personally, your personal business plan, your professional business plan, the plan for your clients, the plan for your employer, the plan for your family. You can't really rely on what you used to do as a foolproof, sure thing for tomorrow anymore. Once you budget differently, um, how you spend and where you spend and what your ROI is will help hone you in on those, those buckets that you're talking about and where you're really deriving value. But it's so different for everybody, it's hard to say what will work. Yeah, right. that, that, that's that makes sense. Great, yeah, absolutely. That's a great explanation on it. And 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 I'd love to delve more into that because I think that that hits at one of the questions that have, have come up is is tools that people can start using right now that they might not have known about, but it's just that figurative sharpening of the axe. If you were consulting a new brokerage, and let's just say it's a well-funded new entity that's starting out and they weren't relying on yesterday's budget, but they were trying to establish what they should be getting. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to say it's carte blanche and they, they have unlimited resources, but assuming that they had reasonable resources, what would you be advising a brokerage to set up right now? What, what would be their that's tax, a great question. Their tech stack, I guess? If Chad, I think that. it's the first time I've ever gotten that question. I like it a lot. Uh, and I've thought about it a lot, having you know been a broker at, at both you know my own company and, and bigger, much bigger companies like Newmark and, and companies like that. So I've sort of seen both sides of it um, in terms of scale and size and, and scope. So let me use that context now to, to answer the question. Um, it, I think it starts with work from home and where that fits in. Now that's a technology enabled thing. What we all learned with COVID is productivity can come pretty close to what it used to be by having to be in the office nine to five or eight to six or whatever the case is um, through work from home. Uh, and we're all struggling now to find the perfect hybrid between in-person where I still believe magic, that's where the magic happens together at the office. I believe it doesn't happen over Zoom nearly to the same degree. Um, and yet I don't think being in the office nine to five is the thing anymore. And so the first order of business in answering your question is 
what I'll call line shifting, budget shifting away from office space expenditure and freeing up some of that capital to double, triple or 10x your technology budget. Hmm. Right now, once you've got your budget more closely aligned, you can pursue any number of things. By the way, I'm not in automation and replace human beings advocate. So I really hope that doesn't uh, come or, or sound like uh, what I'm saying. But I do believe there's a certain amount of, of uh, remedial, low-level tasks that we all do in the brokerage business to some extent that can be automated and can free us up to pursue higher return activities where we can all make more money individually and, again, for the brokerages. Um, and so some of that spend would be there. Some of it would be on software. I'm going to give you a really good example here. Um, if anybody uh, who's listening in um, uses Land Vision, um, which is a Lightbox product, or even if they don't, if they touch land uh, before it gets turned into the built world, before a building gets built on it, uh, or even if they trade it as land, Land Vision is probably the best database I've been able to find uh, on every pin number um, in the United States, right? Everything you want to know about that tax parcel, dimensions, topography, wetlands, ownership, taxes, contact information, neighbors, it's kind of a one-stop shop. For us in the development world, how could we ever live without a tool like that? We take land, we buy it, we build buildings on it, either built to suit or spec. We lease them up, we sell it, we start again. Um, I can't live without that software. When I came over to CRG, uh, they were not, they were obviously crushing it in development, but they didn't have the, the software. Um, and so I was able to convince everybody uh, to do some line shifting, some, some budget shifting so that we could afford it. And it's not the cheapest software, but boy, I want to tell you that, you know, the value proposition is pure. Um, and the renewal came up yesterday and uh, our rate went up 2%. And I circulated it just to make sure that I was able to approve it. You know, I probably could have, but I thought the better thing to do is make sure everybody's on board with it. Uh, and I got a, a euphoric yes. Like they can't remember a day they lived without this software, right? And that it, it's a perfect example of the line shifting that, that I'm talking about. You don't have to just start spending more in tech. You can spend within your budget by doing that line shifting. Now it's going to be different from a small brokerage uh, in a, a more remote or, or tertiary location to a Jones Langless sale or a, you know, a Newmark or a Cushman and Wakefield, right? You have to justify your spend. Um, you have different risk tolerances. It, at Newmark, we used to look at scale uh, and the ability to roll it out system-wide because there's a lot of good prop tech out there. A ton of really exciting, God, I hope they really make it. I can't wait for them to get a little further, but I, I can't do anything with you now because you're only in New York. You only do office space. You're only, right? it, it wouldn't work at Newmark, right? It didn't have the scale. Um, uh, quick quick question just before I forget it because I, I, I think that this, this is a, a very relevant uh, question to, to piggyback on that. And I, and I still want to hear the rest of the answer, but for 
we're dealing with this in our office where we've got software or you've got a, uh, a, a, an integrated system that you've become very reliant on. What happens when that increase is more than 2%? What happens when that, that data provider comes and tells you that it's now 20% or 200%? Uh, what do you do when you've become so reliant on that technology and they're the only service provider and you they pretty much have, have you handcuffed uh, to either continue using that service, which your staff have all become much more reliant on, or you're basically uh, forced to go without it. What, what do you do in that situation? Well, um, I teasingly call that the co-star effect. <laughs> I didn't want to mention the name, but uh, yeah, there's, um, there's listen, companies I, out there like that. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the following about co-star because it, it, it's germane to your question. Um, I'm a subscriber. Uh, I pay a lot for it. At least in the Chicago market, we get a lot for it. The data here is very very good. It's deep and rich historically, as well as in terms of, of current incompleteness. It is a one-stop shop. I really don't need to go anywhere else to, to cover the entirety of the market. Yes, we pay handsomely for it. Uh, my hedge with them was to buy their stock. That way, if they want to keep jacking the price on me, <laughs> I may pay it out of one pocket and I may get it back in, in the other pocket. And it's actually proven to be a good hedge. I'm not, I, you know, I, I have issues with CoStar like everybody. They could improve in customer service. They could improve in a lot of ways. They really could, right? But, 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 um, your question is really a a, a tricky one. Um, I don't know that I have a perfect answer for everybody on the uh, uh, on the podcast or the listeners and and for yourself. Um, you don't want to put too many eggs into too few baskets, just as a general rule of thumb. Um, you want to keep your eye out for something leapfrog. If there's an alternative to CoStar and it's a different database and they charge in a comparable way, I would stay with CoStar, quite honestly. If somebody comes along and says, hey, uh, I've harnessed the power of blockchain and it's not a database, it's uh, a completely different approach to monetizing and managing data. It's a data marketplace. You own it. You don't give it to me. You keep it. We use blockchain to prove that it's yours and yours only to monetize. I will bring consumers of that data to the marketplace. I will facilitate the transaction between your data and the consumer of the data. It could be a listing, could be a comp, right? Could be any number of things. Could be for an hour, could be for a day, could be for a week, could be for a year. Right, it could be forever, all different prices. It's your data. You set your own price. You set your own terms. All I'm going to do is create a marketplace, validate the data using irrefutable uh, cryptography like, like blockchain, mm -hmm. um, and I'll take a, a micropayment on each transaction that I facilitate. Does that sound like CoStar at all? Because it's not. Okay, It's leapfrog technology. Um, it sounds like a technology that CoStar would either buy and integrate at a higher maybe, price to their customers. But it's not competitive. It's a totally different approach, yeah. right? Um, it, it's it's exactly what I said. It's leapfrog technology. So if something like that comes along, I wouldn't rush in headfirst. I would be slow and cautious and do your due diligence and make sure that it can scale with your needs. And um, if you need to pivot yet again um, with the blockchain, you should be able to port your data with you forevermore, right? Yep. So I like that aspect of it, but but it still doesn't really answer your question, which is, 
you know, can I overinvest? I'll tell you who's really good at that. Um, uh, all the, the CRMs um, uh, ride on Salesforce, not all of them, by the way, uh, but a lot of the CRMs ride on Salesforce, right? And then they customize it from there, but they're beholden now to whatever Salesforce charges them on license fees each year. Mm-hmm. And then they have to pass that through to you, the customer. So are you better off on a Salesforce-based CRM that's been customized for real estate? Or are you better off on a homegrown custom program CRM by real estate pros that understand you and your needs and your clients and your business, but don't ride on Salesforce? Now, I'm asking you to think about that over five or 10 years, not over one year, right? Those are just um, decisions and and, 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 and um, um, perspectives that we have to teach ourselves to use in decision-making either on behalf of our brokers as a brokerage operator or as a sophisticated broker, either way, yep. right? You have to start training yourselves to, to, to think and, and be a little bit different and to negotiate better contract deals so that you can have enough flexibility to pivot because the only constant from here is change, right? Yeah. There will be better and different. There just will. Well, and like you said, just there's quantum leaps happening right now in the tech space. So what we're talking about today could look completely different in a couple of years from now. Where where does your data reside? Is it on your server or on my server? If we break up, how do I get it back? How do I know? What will you do with it? Are we asking those questions? Yep. What what would be a couple of building blocks that you would say are are imperative to have in the toolkit? And and maybe it could be as broad as just somebody involved in the in the commercial or industrial estate space, or maybe it could be a broker or an investor. What would be some of like the key building blocks you'd advise somebody to have right now? I, well, you know, um, you almost have to think about it in terms of asset classes or, or brokerage focus, right? Are you tenant rep? Are you landlord rep? Are you both industrial office? Cause, cause the answer really is w- w- may depend on, on some of those answers, but, but trying to keep it more generic, I think you have to look at pain points, both your own, mm-hmm. what holds you back, right? Where's your bottleneck? How could you fix it? What would you do with your time if you could free that up, right? Could you automate your your, your proposal writing process? Could you uh, go to a digital? And there's a, and there's a, there's several um, good products out there today that didn't exist ten or fifteen years ago in terms of tour books that are digital or presentation books that are in the cloud and we're not printing 50 or hundred dollar books times six of them. Right. Um, with a, a group of people that stay till midnight to bind and, and, and collate. And it, just so you can take it to a meeting, just so that when you leave the, the, the prospective client throws it in the trash can and, and you just threw $300 out the door, right. You better off bringing an iPad and letting them throw that away. <laughs> so, right. What, what's the pain point um, for you personally? And then number two, uh, what's the pain point? that you're hearing most often from your clients. And you should be asking them if you're not. What, what's a better form of communication and service and empathy than asking your client, what is your pain point? Maybe I can't promise without knowing, but maybe just maybe I can help you with it. And if I help you with it, maybe just maybe we won't do one deal together. We'll do three, four, five, or 10. And I promise you the easiest sale to make is sale number two, three, four, five, or 10. The hardest sale to make will always be the first sale. Always. So are you always chasing first sales or are you uh, integrating a handful of first sales together with a handful of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth transactions? Right. Um, And that starts by asking your client what their pain point is. Um, I think their pain point um, 
it's not universal. It all depends, but, but um, certainty of information, um, quality of data, real-time data, um, uh, analysis. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, of some of the answers I've gotten uh, from folks, but, but building your uh, approach to service and technology around what those pain points are, both for you personally and professionally, as well as uh, that uh, of your clientele is almost a surefire recipe for improved success. Yeah, that's that's a very profound statement, and and I think that that could apply. But not it's different just, for everybody, right? I'm sorry, not you. You can't say everybody do this; it will work for everybody always. You know, there has to be some some interpretation um, and some adaptation, depending on where what market you're in and what you focus on, and you know those kinds of things. That's why I wanted to qualify that answer. But 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 it is the right recipe. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was leading to as well is it's difficult to actually give like a, a real answer specific to, to everybody when it's a generic question that I asked. But that thing that I that really resonated is that that that's same on a continuum of time asking the question, what are your pain points? Whether you ask someone that in 1970 or, or 2022, that's a that's a great question to ask because you are going to get valuable insight to it with the versus asking of 50 years ago versus asking today is that you might be able to solve that problem with some of the technology services. I could it, maybe even give you a real example that, that I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, last week and this week uh, that might be of interest to everybody and that's security deposits. So how many people do leases and, and have security deposit requirements on those deals? Most of us, if not all of us, right. As brokers. Um, in this case, uh, I have a, a longtime legacy client who turned to me to help them uh, to sublease, space in downtown Chicago, office space. Uh, it's a NASDAQ traded corporate headquarters. Okay. They don't need the office space anymore. Like so many people. Right. And, and it's a soft market, just exactly what you would expect. We found a tenant. We found a subtenant. Everybody's excited and there's a deal there. Um, my client, the, the sub lessor says to the inbound subtenant, I need a security deposit. Subtenant represented by a big national firm, a brokerage firm says security deposit. I'm not giving you a security deposit. I'd have to either use cash or uh, restrict my borrowing capacity and still pay out of pocket for a letter of credit. And the answer is no, I'm not going to give you one. Right. So we're trying to get past it. Um, there's a company out there uh, called OTSO and full disclosure. Uh, I'm an advisory board member to OTSO. So it's, this is a little less than arm's length. But I do want to share this with everybody. Otso uh, has uh, a product um, that replaces security deposit with, in effect, uh, insurance. Um, hmm. The tenant does an online application. They get instant approval or, or I guess not approval. But if approved, um, a, an insurance policy uh, backed by an authentic underwritten uh, insurance company is issued with the landlord as the beneficiary paid for by the tenant, costs a couple hundred bucks a month. In this case, we wanted $50,000 of security, um, right? Not, not, not a huge thing, uh, but it doesn't tie up the tenant's borrowing capacity. It's less money than the letter of credit would have cost them. It's like $300 a month. It's a, it's a rounding error to the, to the, to the $50,000 in rent they're gonna pay every month. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and, it, and it alleviated the pain point for everybody. Um, and nobody saw it coming. The biggest obstacle we had was this is different and I have fear of the unknown. 
the attorneys, how do I write this up? It's an exhibit to the lease. Okay. You had exhibit A and B. Now you have exhibit C. Not that big a deal, right? If the, if the subtenant defaults, sub lessor can cash in the insurance policy. It's hmm. really as simple as that. Um, it's a game changer. Uh, we can't let fear of the unknown, no matter how new and different, interfere in our ability to improve our ability to create or deliver solutions. And this was a perfect application of it. But there was a whole bunch of people saying, I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have fear of the unknown. How do I write it up? Are you sure this is going to work? Right? I mean, those are real things. Um, but I think it's incumbent upon all of us to fight through some of that when the right opportunities come along and this happened to be one. That's a pain point. Security deposits are, are a pain point. Who wants to post cash or letter credit and restrict their borrowing capacity? Nobody. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Now they don't have to. Who knew? Yeah. So on that line, and we do have some questions coming in, so I'll get to those yeah. shortly. And I'll, I'll also just uh, ask any questions. Uh, please uh, throw them in because we'll all leave a good 20 minutes for questions as well. Uh, but on the on the line of, of that security deposit, uh, alleviating the company having to put that forward and just have an insurance policy, like that, that, that is going to be a, a huge opportunity for people to avoid that. What else are you seeing in that space? And I'd, I'd ask you to put your, your futurist hat on here. What else are you seeing in the tech space that is going to have some profound implications uh, in the coming years? Well, um, gosh, I, I don't want to blow people's you know brains out. But <laughs> I do. I, I'd, I'd love to hear a shot at it. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I think that uh, I'm going to start with this. Um, I thought that the advent of the internet would be the biggest, most profound change in my entire professional life. And it turns out I was wrong and I am often wrong. So let me just make sure that I put that out there. Um, I think blockchain is poised to be bigger than the internet. Hmm. Okay. So blockchain's on the list and I can certainly talk about why if you'd like me to, I'd but like to uh, the internet is being reorganized as we speak, right? Into web 3.0. Um, from web 3.0, from, from, from an internet that's been reorganized to be more potent, more powerful, easier to use, uh, more connected, more networked, more global, greater depth of information, easier to find. Um, I think web 3.0 in and of itself uh, will trump, pardon the expression, I'm sorry I used that, but but uh, will, will, will make the internet itself a distant memory. Think about what I just said there for a minute, right? Because I started with the internet's the greatest innovation of my lifetime. And it, maybe it's not actually. Um, from Web3, you get metaverse and all kinds of other capabilities. And, and there's this wild west gold rush that I am really trying hard to understand. I'm not telling you it's dumb and I'm not telling you it's smart. I'm just trying to understand it. But you're talking about billions of dollars pouring into virtual real estate. Seems to me it's loaded with opportunities for everybody uh, that we're communicating with today, right? In our, in our, in our world, could you pair a bricks and mortar space together with a digital twin in the metaverse and then connect that to a virtual city and conduct virtual tours, color changes, modifications virtually before you actually endeavor to spend the money on the CapEx to do it in the bricks and mortar world? Is that the application? I'm not sure yet. Um, could you just buy virtual real estate 
uh, low and, and sell it high, just like real real estate, right? What can you do with it? Um, that's enabled by Web 3.0. So I think metaverse warrants some serious research by everybody. Um, I'm not saying take your life savings and start spending it on the metaverse properties. I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm also not saying take a thousand hours if you have it to lose and, and play and learn. Um, it's probably the right approach to it. That goes back to the budget conversation we had, right? Same thing with crypto. Um, crypto uses blockchain technology, but it isn't blockchain. People have to separate crypto and blockchain um, because there's a, a lot of really good commercial, robust applications for blockchain. One of which might be, you know, monetizing data marketplaces like we already talked about, right? Uh, just by way of example, that wasn't crypto. That was blockchain, right? Smart contracts. If this, then that, fully automated. If this title clears and passes, the money from the earnest, the earnest money from the, the earnest money deposit is released automatically, right? It's a smart contract, right? Settlements compressed from 30 or 60 days to 30 minutes, hmm. right? That's a game changer when you think about how much money universally trillions of dollars at stake residentially commercially just in that space right blockchain so uh crypto same thing the way to learn it take a thousand dollars that you can afford to to lose it's like a weekend at vegas i hate to say right take a, if you're going to go to vegas or or your favorite casino with 200 bucks and you're prepared to lose it buy crypto instead if you're prepared to take a thousand dollars to your favorite casino and you're prepared to lose it and let's hope you don't I would experiment in the crypto world. Uh, I would study it, watch it closely before. I wouldn't just buy, right? You have to understand the trend and, and what makes it tick. And, and, and my approach was to buy Coinbase, right? Which was the clearinghouse for it, um, for all the cryptos. Um, what I found was Coinbase moves with Bitcoin pricing or, or, or with crypto pricing, right? Uh, even though it really should be different. Turbulence should create more trades. More trades should, should create more fees for Coinbase, it really should trade differently, but it trades exactly the same, which I think is really interesting. Still trying to understand it, uh, but that's a space that that will quickly be upon us. Would you take your commission in crypto? Good question. Okay, don't know. There's there's a there's a firm in Chicago that does. I don't know how it's working for them, but I, I saw their social media that we're now willing to, to to accept crypto in lieu of cash commissions. So hmm. it's being done. Okay, not being done by Jones Lang the sale or 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 Cushman Wakefield yet, but you want to bet me that they don't have some sort of pilot or or task force studying it? I guarantee you they do, mm -hmm. right? And I don't, I honestly don't know. They'd be crazy not to be studying it right now. So that that's just a, a lucky guess on my part. But but those are places and technologies that will touch all of us faster than we all think. And then the last thing I would say is is AI. Artificial intelligence is a real thing, um, and it's an overlay to everything we've talked about. So it's really blockchain plus AI. It's really crypto plus AI, right? It's really software as a service plus AI. It's an overlay to everything. And um, whether you understand Python code or whether you're partnered with somebody who does, um, be ready. Um, it's going to touch all of us in, I don't know, certainly less than five years. I'm going to go two to three years, but maybe I'm crazy. Um, and like I said, I'm wrong a lot, so I think that's fine. Um, but but those are the those are the big ones for me: blockchain, AI, 
uh, metaverse, all driven by uh, Web 3.0. I'm going to sorry, I'm going to throw out one more, which is you know 5G, um, which really isn't hitting a stride yet, but will um, in the ability to create and consume data of huge quantities in real time on a localized basis, which unleashes smart cars and smart roads and smart intersections and you know um, true autonomous vehicle traffic and even air taxis and all, all those things that sound so space age it's you know three to five years well, our company just got a huge award um, to build an air taxi factory where they're a million and a half square feet where wow. they're going to produce air taxis at scale wow okay they'll be flying in five years i promise you they will so well, a million and a half square feet uh, dedicated to that. I, I feel you and I could have a show just talking about that facility. We might need to have a follow-up on this. I, I, I do want to get to some questions here uh, because there, there's a number coming in. Uh, but I before we even jump into those questions and why I just pulled one up, but uh, just one second. I, I As people are listening to this, I, I suspect that there might be two camps here. There might be one that is terrified by what is what, what Jeff is saying. And 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 I, I'm sort of right right there too because it's it's difficult even just keeping track of technology that we have today like social media and and some crms and data providers it's almost tough keeping pace with what we have today when you see this exponential curve ahead of us it's it seems like a daunting task and there there's the other side of the equation where people are probably super excited about this so i i do want to have uh tech well said be, by the way well said. Yeah, thanks jeff I, I do want to have tech be be more uh featured on on this channel I, I i do focus exclusively on industrial real estate but i i want tech to to be a, a recurring theme so i'll definitely reach out to have jeff on here again and 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 others as well just just so that people like myself who, who are a little bit uh, afraid of how fast this is coming at us can try and keep keep on top of that but uh i i do i do get excited by everything question, that you're though, saying though let me bring it back to industrial real estate because that that is your audience right and it, it is what i've done for 30 plus years and just say where it seems like technology might be invisible in industrial real estate i would ask you to think about the following things internet of things which is a real thing and the power that goes into powering internet of things at an industrial facility and whether you have a single power service or a redundancy, a second power service, a single substation, a second substation, a single utility provider, two utility providers, which in the data center world is known as 2N, right? So one is N plus one, which means two sources, same provider, two substations. 2N means two separate feeds from two separate utility providers, right? Which is, is even better than N plus one right? Mm -hmm. Those are e-commerce concepts. If, you, if you're shipping $100 million a day or a million dollars, say, let's bring it way down. Suppose your outbound volume at an e-commerce hub is a million dollars a day of goods. That's a $365 million a year facility. It's a third of a billion dollars, okay? Just by fulfilling a million dollars a day, which isn't that far-fetched anymore. If you're down for just a day or a week, it's catastrophic financially. So if you had to spend 150 grand on a second power service so that you had redundancy, so that you could never go down, would you do it for mm -hmm. a, a third of a billion dollar facility? I promise you the end user would. I don't know if the developer would, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
but but I think there's a real take home application for industrial real estate just in terms of uh, of Internet of things. Right. Cars. You have a parking lot for a thousand cars today. What will that parking lot be 10 years from now when people aren't driving one person, one car to work? What could you do with that parking lot? That's an industrial real estate equation, right? Drones. Does anybody really believe drones are going away? That it was a dumb idea. I thought it was a dumb idea when I first heard it. I thought it was ridiculous, by the way. I really did. Uh, and now I'm convinced it's a thing. It's authentically a thing. So how does that going to work at your industrial real estate? Is it a drone dock? Is it on the roof? How do you deal with vertical lift to get the product to and from, right? What about weather? Is it canopied? Is it enclosed? Is it a articulating arm attached to a truck dock, extending 100 feet away? Then you bring it back in. So you're loading it under the protection of the building. These are industrial real estate things, but they're also technology things. Solar on the roof, EV chargers, not just for cars, but for long haul trucks. Those are These are industrial real estate concepts. So I just wanted to really exemplify how many things go into uh, industrial real estate under the banner of technology or technology and energy. Well, you can bet that I'm I'm going to pick your brain for part two on this uh, so somewhere in uh, 2022 here because I, I I could talk about all those things as well. Uh, but I, there's questions piling up. I know you've got something uh, in about an, an hour or so. So uh, however many questions we can get to, you tell me uh, when you need to cut I'm off. I'm enjoying This is really great, Chad. Thanks this for is, having this me. This is awesome. This is really I love fun. the discussion. Yeah. So uh, Wyatt, if you can uh, start pulling up some questions. Uh, Keaton, thanks for the question. Do you see virtual reality having any impact on commercial real estate in the near future? It's a great question. Uh, I've addressed it a couple times and my answer has evolved. So let me start by, by saying that, right? Um, I do think there's a place, but increasingly I'm seeing that place in the metaverse, in some form or fashion, because there's a, a more practical reality, a more a more fungibility, more usability there, um, than simply as virtual re, virtual reality for the sake of virtual reality. And so the ROI happens, in my opinion, the ROI will be in the in the fast evolving uh, metaverse. It doesn't mean it's decentral land because I'm not sure that's the right place for it. I'm not sure it's not, by the way, but but. How long till somebody creates an industrial park on the metaverse? Because to my knowledge, it hasn't been done. So here's an opportunity and a challenge for everybody who's listening. If anybody's listening, I hope somebody's out there. Go do it there. Do it in that way. Be first uh, and make it special. And maybe I'll come help you. Um, I think that's the, the, the play there. Uh, the number two, I would say, is augmented reality, where you have a foot in the real world and a foot in the virtual world has always struck me as more practical than purely virtual all by itself. So there's sort of two combined answers for you, metaverse number one and augmented number two. But yes, there is a place where you can digital twin something and, and modify or simulate or um, uh, experiment with, diagnose uh, before you turn to the bricks and mortar real version um, and try to hope that you got it right. Now, by the way, add AI on top of that, right? Write a learning algorithm that improves by the hour. Um, and at some point in the very near future, one, two, three, four, five years, your virtual reality becomes something that you can't live without. Hmm. But it's probably not the virtual, virtual reality you're thinking of. It's more of a digital twin metaverse um, augmented deployment. Fascinating. 
Uh, Pat, what are thanks for the question again, Pat? Uh, what are your thoughts on Reonomy versus CoStar? I'm a small industrial investor in Los Angeles, looking for ownership information and acquisition opportunities. Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I'm a little remiss to go too deep into that one, Pat, but I appreciate you asking the question. Um, you heard maybe some of my comments about CoStar earlier. Um, are they perfect? No. Is there room for improvement? Yes. Uh, but their data in bigger markets like Los Angeles and Chicago and others where they've been doing it the longest, I think is very, it's, a, it's an aggregation of super high quality data. Um, can you sift through it to find investment and acquisition opportunities? You probably could, but that's where I would turn to a Reonomy or even a Crexy or, or and a lot of people tell me LoopNet's better. Now, LoopNet is a coaster company, right? But but there are other places to turn if what your purpose is, is sourcing acquisition opportunities. So I think it's really good for, for current and historical data. I don't know that CoStar is where I would turn for sourcing opportunities. Although if you were super proficient at it, you could. I mean, the, probably data is there. It's just not organized in a way for that to be the, the focal point of it. I hope that made some sense. Yeah, thanks for, for that, Jeff. Uh, Rod, what are the best opportunities that tech entrepreneurs should be looking at in prop tech? Uh, what pain points or bottlenecks aren't being adequately addressed by current prop tech companies? Great question, Rod. Yeah, really good question, Rod. Um, I'll say this because um, I just out of, of geekiness and interest and and I've, I've uh, you know, personally written checks in five or six prop tech companies as a seed investor or an angel investor, uh, an advisor. Um, I see a lot of stuff. I don't see as much as a true VC sees, uh, but I also have relationships with a lot of those, excuse me, prop tech incubators or VCs. And I talked to them out. I had a meeting this morning with one, by the way. Um, and this was our conversation. So it was very timely. Um, everything that you can think of is systematically being attacked in, in the form of prop tech. I don't think there's a, a topic out there that somebody isn't already trying to solve, but very few, nine out of 10 will fail, right? One out of 10 maybe will hit um, a series A or a series B or even a, a, a unicorn exit um, and really solve problems at scale. So maybe the question is, more about who achieves that scale and that success and in what areas within prop tech might that be versus what areas are people trying to solve for? Because everything, mm -hmm. flood insurance, they're trying to solve for it. Security deposits, they're solving for it, right? CRM, better CRM, better databases, better you know, virtual showings, virtual tour, you name it, somebody's trying. I'm not sure there's anything left. Um, but then I think of, you know, Henry Ford um, and the lesson there, which is he didn't invent the car, although almost everybody I know thinks that he did. He invented the assembly line and created scale. He wasn't the first mover. He wasn't even the second mover. He just took a really good idea and put scale to it and made it affordable for millions and millions of people. Uh, and he's therefore the most famous car guy in the history of the world. And he didn't invent the car. I think that's what you're going to see in prop tech. Maybe not the first mover, maybe even not the second mover but somebody who says, aha, you were onto something with that, but I'm gonna take it from here and all the way to there. 
And those are the prop tech successes I would really be looking for. The big thing for me was scale, right? If, if you can't scale what you're doing relatively quickly, um, you're probably not going to have success and you probably won't be there for me at that critical moment when, when, when me as a broker, my client, when we need you. And, and therefore, um, I'm trying to keep it, you know, 20,000 feet and above as opposed to giving you certain company names and whatnot. But, you know, reach out to me if you're interested and, and connect with me on LinkedIn and we can have a deeper dive on on some of these. I do think anybody that does blockchain and AI as an additive to their core focus is a better bet than those who are not. And we do have uh, Jeff's contact information in the chat. Thanks to Bev for that. And we also have it in the description and I'll also put it in the comments after that as well. So I'd encourage you to uh, reach out and connect with Jeff. Uh, question from Ron. Uh, and Ron, thanks for joining in. Quick plug for Ron. Ron's uh, an industrial real estate investor himself and he's also a lawyer in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. He's got a great YouTube channel as well. So I'd encourage you to go check out his channel. Uh, how do you control liens or involuntary charges on a blockchain title? So getting back to that smart contract that you mentioned earlier, uh, great question, Ron. Uh, it is a really great question. I'm going to tell you what my answer is. Um, I'm going to hire Ronald Road and ask him because he's going to be the expert on this. Any attorney that deals in blockchain is, is where I, I would turn for this. It's just not my not my my uh, strength and I don't want to BS my way through the answer. So there'll be people that figure it out. So somebody will get ahead of this and, and figure that out. It's been said though, that the only people making money on blockchain so far are the attorneys hmm. who are trying to figure out how to write it up. Right. I've heard that a lot of times from a lot of people. Um, it won't always be that way, but it might be that way now. And thanks for the question, Ronald. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, go check out Ron's channel. Uh, he, oh, interesting. As you should, as you absolutely should. He says he, he they accept crypto from clients. So that's, yep. uh, yeah, I, I, people runs ahead of the times. Have uh, you had Ron on as a guest yet? I have. He should be yeah. in the queue. Okay. I have. So he's he, been he's on. Yeah, good. Awesome, awesome guy to, uh, to chat yeah. with. I'm yeah. just a fan of his channel. I can he's tell from very, the questions, no doubt. Yeah. And he's an industrial real estate investor. So he's got real money invested in this and, and he's just, he's, he's very intrigued by it. So yeah, he's, uh, I hope to actually meet up with Ron. I, I've been meaning to reach out with him because I'm going Let's to the, uh, the Phoenix. Well, I, I don't think I can make Phoenix, but I do want to go to, uh, I'm planning to go to Dallas in October. Oh, good, so, good, good. Well, and he's Ron's there, there, so, perfect. yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for the question, Ron. Uh, Pat, what are your thoughts on NFT crypto real estate ownership as a way to raise capital from investors? Uh, that's a that's a very interesting question. Okay, so this, this, is, this is, I don't want to say an easy answer. Is this the domain of real estate or fintech? Is this an SEC issue or a hmm. real estate issue? And until that's decided, the answer is I don't know. And I'm not being obnoxious about it. Um, I love the idea. And, and the, the, the number of players poised to um, tokenize everything in real estate. And I'm a big fan of it. Um, it still comes down to whether this is an SEC accredited investor discussion or whether this is a real estate discussion. And it's not clear yet. Yeah, another thing we'll have to figure out. Uh, Rod, uh, follow-up question. What are the best opportunities that tech entrepreneurs should be looking at in prop tech? What pain, uh, do we actually, do we already address this one, Wyatt? I think we answered that that question already. Uh, Let me just touch on it to say, you know, again, blockchain and AI as overlays to a specific purpose or intent to fix or address a problem are your best bets there. 
Yeah, and, and Rod, if, if I did cut that off short, I apologize. Uh, but feel free to shoot me a note. I'll connect you with Jeff if you did want to get some more follow-up on that. I apologize if I did, did if we didn't address that properly. Uh, Neil, thanks for joining in. Uh, what is a piece of tech that is new today that is as groundbreaking as your BlackBerry was? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, there, there's some large-scale things, and then there's some smaller-scale things. On the, on the larger scale, um, autonomous vehicles and, and 5G, and, and when that's really hit a stride and, and the things that you can do uh, because you can uh, capture and process the data in real time that you couldn't do yesterday because of that is going to unleash a million new things. And so you want to keep a really close eye on where you live and at what stage 5G infrastructure is um, in your marketplace or where you spend the majority of your time. Um, so I think 5G maybe is that, okay? Because it, 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 it's the underpinning or the infrastructure that supports so many other things. The other thing I would say is, uh, and this is a little bit more uh, messier to describe, but everything is a service. And I mean everything. Um, I had a meeting yesterday with a group of folks who came in from Europe um, it was both a construction conversation and an energy conversation. So for me, it's right up my alley. Um, it turned into a development as a service arrangement. Hmm. Even development could be done as a service. Okay, wow. Who knew? Who knew? And, and we struck a deal in lightning speed because we were on the same page on how to execute it, how to price it, how to pace it. What, what, what's the cadence of something like that? You're going to do 20 deals. You can do 50 deals. All right. Well, let's just start with 10 or let's start with 20 and we'll option the other 20, something like that. Right. I mean, there's, there's so everything is a service brokerage is a service um, where you pay per minute or per, per data point or per, per, per tour or per, right. There, there's so many fundamental changes coming when you harness the power of data and management and, and computing power, that you can do anything as a service. You can do kindergarten as a service. You can do air travel as a service. Everything as a service. Um, is that a new technology? Can you compare that to a BlackBerry? No, I, I get that it's not quite apples to apples, but but I'm a huge believer in everything as a service. We're all going to probably end up by choice as independent contractors uh, with the ability to provide our service to the highest bidder anywhere in the world virtually at any moment in time. And that we don't want to be bogged down under contract to one party for five years or 10 years, uh, unless there's a really magical, compelling reason to do that. And of course, there will always be some of that, but but I think everybody's going to make more money as a service hmm. in any area of expertise. Fascinating. Uh, crazy Buildings. That's a, that's a great name too, by the way. Thanks for the question. Uh, it should curious. be Crazy Buildings TM, shouldn't it? <laughs> it, it might. It should get that in there. It's a hint. Uh, curious to hear more uh, from Jeffrey about blockchain. Everyone mentioned smart contracts. Are there things beyond smart contracts where blockchain comes in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the blockchain marketplaces that I spoke of are real. They're not imagined. I'm working on one now. Um, it's intending to address... Uh, lease comps, which are non-public domain data points, right? You can scrape the public domain for sale data pretty readily and pretty easily. Um, 
So the pain point is real lease comp data in real time with a higher degree of accuracy besides the, the whisper or the shared comp. And by the way, if you're under NDA and you share that comp with a friend that you trust, and I think it's done a lot, you did just violate your NDA and I would advise you not to do it. Um, if you own the data and you can validate your ownership of that data via blockchain, then you can monetize it from there. You can share it, like I said, in one of these new you know, uh, blockchain supported data marketplaces. Um, easier example on blockchain. Um, and I had this, this experience yet again recently. I went to the doctor's office, brand new doctor. You know what they made me do? Go sit over there and fill out the clipboard. What's your medical history? I won't even see you until you, know, you filled out a 15 minute clipboard. Why can't I just put my medical history on the blockchain, import it with me, fill it out one time for, and never again, and decide who has access to it. Who are the who are the stakeholders in that? A new doctor, I give you permission to use it while you're my doctor, and then I revoke it from you when you're not my doctor, but I didn't have to do another clipboard. And boy, does that really fry me. And I think everybody's probably had that experience at some point in their life. Super easy concept for blockchain. It's unlimited. The limitation is your imagination or your ability to copycat and improve upon the Henry Ford, your ability to take somebody else's idea and make it better, which, by the way, is fair game, as far as I know. I, I love it. I think this was such a lively discussion and I am, I'm going to tap your shoulder in the fall here to get part two on this because I had a number of questions we could ask uh, specific to the warehouse. So I, I really do want to thank you, Jeff, for coming on and I want to thank everybody who tuned in live or whether you're listening to this after and for all the great uh, questions and discussion. I, I, I love getting that uh, involvement from everybody else as well. So uh, please feel free to ask uh, any questions that come to mind in the future. And I'd encourage you to uh, reach out and uh, connect with Jeff and and lastly, uh, if you could smash that like button for the YouTube algorithm. I think I'm supposed to say that, right, Bev? Uh, but uh, again, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Really yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for it. having me. And, and thanks for everybody who, who opted in and, and took the time to ask a question. I personally really appreciate stuff like that. So thanks for taking the time to do that. And I'll see you uh, live in, in Dallas at the, at the latest. Chad, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks again, Jeff. Much appreciated. All, right. All the best. Thanks, thanks everyone. Bye, everyone.